from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Company. Four o'clock hour is here. We hand it off in a little over 60 minutes to the NBA Finals game number two, the pregame with uh, Kevin Winter. On ESPN Radio National. John Von Tobel is on the scene here at Silver Sevens, right across the way from the William Hill Race and Sportsbook. We're tracking baseball this afternoon, getting ready for game two in the NBA Finals. Back in our Finley Toyota Studios. Ari's helping out here on the scene, setting up the equipment, turning the uh, all the knobs and spinning dials and doing all that stuff. He doesn't do any of it. It's actually very streamlined now. Is Angel. Battled Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Four, number five. All right, bad news of the day. Well, no, I mean, nothing's official yet. Nothing's official yet. You know, we've got the UFC card, Connor Fight Week here right now. There's a Connor press conference tonight. That's a prime timer. I think it uh, goes off. Well, it's scheduled for five o'clock our time. Connor McGregor has a, a habit of acting like, uh, I don't know, Axel Rose. Uh, he shows up. A little bit late. It should be raucous. I think people are still into Connor. There's a big line. Or there was, as doors are opening uh, right around now. But the boxing match, and a big one, pun intended, with the heavyweights, that one could be in jeopardy. We still don't have more details on what happened with this COVID outbreak in the Fury camp. But this ain't good. And, you know, John, it's, it's a broken record. And it's almost hard to go off on it now because we are seeing... Plenty of vaccinated people actually get COVID. But, you know, we turn our attention to the unvaccinated. And can you imagine if, if Fury, you know, loses out on this fight? I guess it would just be delayed. But I just, I can't imagine being in a fight camp and not securing the camp to the point where no one can be around me who could potentially take me down. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't have this happen. So if you're not, and for all I know, Fury might not be vaccinated, which we've already seen golfers... You know, John Rahm was a disaster leading through three rounds, and he wound up losing potentially $1.6 million in a tournament. So it's a weird time in sports right now because it's this middle range where you've got, you know, half the country fully vaccinated, and then the other half isn't, and we're all kind of playing this game of chicken where it could affect, at the highest level, a big fight like this. I mean, I, I, right now with the summer here, I think a lot of people I know, including myself, you're like, I, I don't want to get it. One, I don't want to get it because of the risk. Two, I have vacations planned. Like, this is like non-football season is when you get a little bit of time off. At the lowest level, like, I, I don't want to freaking risk it. Well, I think if you go somewhere extremely hot, you'll be fine, right? Because it dies there. Well, so that that was not proven correct uh. after, <laughs> after last summer. I forgot that was one of the great theories early on in COVID that uh, the thing would just – The, the virus would just sizzle, fry, fry to death. Um no, it's not, and when look, we don't know the details like you were mentioning, right? Uh, for example, what if anybody in the camp was between vaccinations? That too, and just like what Wasn't happened with John the, Rom, yeah, and Desharm, the uh, the coach of the Canadians, right. you know, hadn't been fully vaccinated, had one, mm-hmm. one and shot, it, and it's bad luck. Or is it a Baltimore Ravens situation in which you have a you know a COVID truther who's just like, nah, it doesn't exist. I'm your weight room guy. Let me just go in there and breathe all over you and pass it on to the entire team. And then you got 28 guys out, and you know over the course of three weeks. But I'm with you at the end of the day, especially in a sport that is individually driven, 
like I would be under lock and key. Like you're, you're not allowed to touch me, look at me, breathe on me, anything like that, unless you're one of three people who are within my circle. Like that's that's tough to have this get derailed because of something like that at this point of the game. I hope it goes through, but uh, you know the biggest thing for us is you know these dates. These are gigantic. These the whole weekend is built around stuff like this. So we don't want to lose Fury and Wilder. So hopefully that thing calms down and Tyson Fury is not effective and the fight goes on. Number four. Were you tracking all the college basketball announcement yesterday as it was the deadline for players to say, hey, I'm out of the draft, I'm coming back? It's kind of an interesting day. Uh, some teams got some real good news. Uh, others got some bad news. Uh, Maryland got hit pretty hard. UCLA got good news with uh, Johnny Juzang back. Do you believe in the theory that lots of players pulled out of the draft because of NIL? I mean, I think it probably it, – I don't think they would pull out because of it, but let's say you're a guy who is a fringe – Second, like a sink around guy, right? For example, if you're if you're like uh, seventy to one twenty on the big board, right? And they only have two rounds, so you can either we talk about this all the time before the NL came around, like you can either kind of like you'd rather go and draft to pick wherever you want, whatever, make a little bit of money, or you could go back to school, right? You can maintain your profile in front of the masses here in America, whatever it is, make money still, and play college basketball in an environment which you like as a child, as a child, right? The college environment, staying in, all those kind of things, without entering into adult. Like I think that there are some of those who are probably like, yeah, this would benefit me to go back. Why not? Do you know what's the uh, G League minimum now? Because I know they've got all these special deals, especially for uh, super high end. Prospects, yeah. I mean, a select contract you can earn up to one twenty-five, but is it? Say it's fifty grand. Thirty-five thousand for the years—the one that I've seen. Okay, so say, so th- I think thirty-five is actually a, a really good number. Um, let's go back, right? Chris Wood—it's worked out for him. He got a long, you know, guaranteed contract. He's the perfect example. He, you know, he's told, hey, maybe first round, but he could go undrafted. He went undrafted. I wonder what guys in that position will do in the future if we're like, hey, the G League pays forty thousand, you make twenty to thirty thousand at your school. And get an extra year towards your degree. What do you do? Right. I go home. Or I go back. Sorry. Yeah. I go back to school. Why not? And, and, it, and it still well, gives Well, I ask you, you because I'm the wrong guy to ask. And now I'm I'm so beyond this, mm. uh, you know, in, in terms – now I look at it differently. Like I I would go to school for as long as I could. And now that I get a little little piece of the pie – Or more. Yeah, I would get – I'd take the free schooling and get more and more uh, advanced in my degree or degrees. And the other thing is that's another year – one, college basketball is fun. Uh, two, you're not an adult yet. Uh, three, and I say this all the time, the most important thing you do in college, even if you think you're going to be a professional athlete, that ends when you're like 35, right? Yeah. Is use the year to make connections and line up future jobs. That's what. That's really what, for, for the athletes, if they all got it that way, talk to the people around the program. The money people make connections for the rest of your life. Well, and for specific examples, right, and you would know this better, obviously, than I would, you know, in, a guy, in the instance of a guy like Geo Baker, you know, Rutgers is a team that had some success last year and I would assume is on the precipice of being another tournament team again this year, right? They have a chance, yeah. Right, so, like, all of that put together and on top of it, hey, we can go back to the NCAA tournament and maybe win a couple of games there or potentially win the whole thing. Like, all of that combined with making a little bit more money on the side, to me, it makes a lot of sense that if you're in that periphery, why not go back to school? Number three. Boy, this one kind of surprised me. I guess I haven't been looking ahead to uh, 2022 mock drafts. Uh, Carson Strong up north, Reno. Ugh, he's good. Is he this good? SI latest mock draft. Now, keep in mind, well, let's see who wrote this. Because um, sometimes SI is uh, kind of farming out their stuff now. SI actually has him as the number one quarterback going into next year. Really? 
Or let's say, yeah, how's him going number one overall to the Texans? Wow. He is good. I mean, I, I think he's real. I think he's good, too. I did not know he was going to be that good. I mean, and look, you don't want to deteriorate the kid. I mean, does it have something to do with the class itself, right? As opposed to, you know, what he is as a player. But that's that's kind of surprising to me when I saw that, when you sent that over. I mean, he's a big guy. Yeah, he's a bigger guy than, say, like Spencer Rattler. I think a lot of people have Rattler on the uh, top of their board. 6'4", what, 215, 220 or something like that? Yeah, strong? yeah. yeah. Um, but he's an amazing story considering where he came from because he, he was hurt late in his high school career and really was under-recruited. Right. So he's right there under the nose of the Pac-12. He lands at Reno. Uh, right now on uh, one side, Big Board has Rattler 1. Again, I, I question Rattler's size. Uh, Matt Coral, who's a very inconsistent at Ole Miss. Yep. Uh, Malik Willis, who's the kid at Liberty. These guys are all small guys, though. Um, there's a kid, uh, Tyler Shaw, whoever you say his name, at Texas Tech who transferred Oregon, from Oregon. Right? Yeah, it's uh, – it's very wide open. Sam Howell has been talked about as a potential number one pick. Carson Strong on this this list is seventh. But see, even then, so Brock Purdy, who's small at only six yeah. one. That sounds like a bunch of quarterbacks that are kind of on the same level as one another, right? Yep. Like there is no transcendent guy in that list of dudes. So it wouldn't be surprising to see a guy like Carson Strong. But here's the thing: by the time we get to the draft, oh, oh, seven are going in the first round. These guys are incredible. Play this back, that. Ari, mark it down. Mark it down. Boy, this is a crazy list. I, I can't believe how many guys in next year's class who are coming out um, or are eligible are six one or smaller. Yeah. Like, I mean, they have JT Daniels is not a big guy at Georgia. Dang, we kind of got a lame class, huh, for the for the Vegas draft. Deara King is listed as the 15th quarterback. He's 5'8", 195. Oh, <laughs> I don't know that he'll be the guy. Yeah. They'll, they'll be... There'll be some studs who emerge. Oh, of course. Look, the, that you're you could, not that no one's talking about right now. And look, one of these guys could have a Joe Burrow esque type season, right? Where he just climaxes, and we're talking about like like 35 touchdowns and four interceptions and an incredible offensive year, and all of a sudden he's a top overall prospect. Doesn't mean he's going to be a great quarterback in the NFL, but we'll, we'll get it by the time we get there. Number two, but there's no Trevor Lawrence because uh, Uyunglele has to wait another year. You got it right. I think I get it mostly right. Uyunglele. Yeah. yeah. Lele. Lele. Lele? Lele. The, Close enough. The official pronunciation is Lele that I have read. Uyanga Lele. Hmm. That was close. Or there. I'm wrong. Oops. Yeah, we will. We, we're, we're all <laughs> over the place on Luca in hour one or hour two. Uh, Derek Carr was and is playing golf in the Celebrity Tournament up in Tahoe, a podcast show that's on Peacock. Brother from another grabbed Derek Carr and... They got into the story with Tom Brady saying, what? That team is not going to take me. They, they stuck with that mother blanker. Here's Derek Carr uh, talking to Holly and Smith. There was a lot of speculation that when Tom Brady went on the shop. Oh, yeah. yeah. What he was saying at the MF or he was, oh, yeah, he was yeah, sticking yeah. Oh, with yeah. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, what did you think of that? that? That people thought it was it was you and the Raiders? From what I know, it wasn't me. Okay. You know? Okay, uh, that's good. It, which is good. And if it was, like, I've, I've gotten in enough trouble trying to challenge some people to fight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, but as a man, you know what I'm saying? Like, Tom, like, you right. got, I know you got the rings, but yeah. You know, yeah, if it's not me, then we're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, wow. I think Derek Carr suggesting that Camp Carr, I'm sure he'd have his brothers with him, are ready to beat up Tom Brady. Who, what would you make the line in that fight? I have no idea. Derek Carr versus Tom Brady? I, I don't know fight skills. I don't know nastiness. Um, I'm always amazed with Brady and just how big he is. He's not a bulky guy, but 
One of the things I noticed, did you look at the pictures, like the side-by-side -side pictures of Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady? I think Brady's growing. Well, how about this? Why does he look like he's 6'6", and, and Rodgers look like he was like 5'11"? Well, like he, I, cause I think Brady's skinnier. When you're skinny, it gives you the air. Like, it makes you look a little bit taller. But than Rodgers really had on all black, which is slimming. Oh, that's Touché. Yeah. Uh, he's, just big, he's just a lot bigger than Rodgers height-wise. Yeah. But what I would say, you know what stuck out to me and a lot of people? It wasn't so much how those two look together. We always talk about how buff and big Bryson DeChambeau is. Yeah, in comparison with other golfers. No. Not look, when you're standing next to two look, NFL players, bro. He did. He looked small. <laughs> right. Just kind of a stocky guy, like maybe 5'11". Yeah. But Brady's a Brady's a big guy. Yeah, I have no idea who would want to fight. Like I said, I think the Carr brothers travel in numbers, so I think it would be three on one. Well, that's not fair. Well, that's why you get on an interview and you're like, okay, Tom, I'd make, watch yourself. make Derek the small favorite only because he's younger. Brady does a lot of yoga. Yeah, he's, he's pliable. I, just, I, I made up that. I have no idea if he does yoga. Good head movement. Keep going, Derek. Talk about uh, Mother Blankergate when uh, Tom Brady was shocked that a team stuck with another quarterback instead of grabbing him. The goal has never changed, and the work has never changed. I was up at 5.45 this morning before I flew here, yeah. know, getting my work in. Yeah. Like, I want to hold that Lombardi trophy as a Raider, you know, and that's that's the only thing that matters to me. And, like, whether, you know, uh, the media or uh, Tom was saying what I – like, honestly, it doesn't matter to me. If I saw it, I love everybody, you know. I, I've gotten away from having a bad heart towards people. Too old for that. It's too, I'm too old. I got, I got four kids. They're giving me these grays in my beard now. Yeah. You know, I got, I'm yeah. too old, man. Yeah. I, I know what I can do. Derek Carr, 30 and a half. Am I right on that? Age? Yeah. By the way, I have a really bad heart for others. Real bad. I was going to say, I think so it, is, it, is, it is as black as it gets. You might have a bad heart. <laughs> uh, I, lo I love the way he put that. Uh, 30 like, in 102 days. There you go. I, I guess he used to have a bad heart for others. My goal should be to get Derek Carr to hate me. Even uh, though I like him as a quarterback, and I actually would have taken him with the Colts. Still might. We are going to have a lot more of that conversation. Tomorrow, because he does talk more about never wanting to play for another team other than the Raiders. Like, he doubled or tripled down on it. Which, when we all heard that last time, we're like, you don't have to say it. I mean, we the, get like, we get your allegiance to the team now. We, we know if things change, you will play for another team. Right. You don't have to do this over-the-top nonsense. Like you, got, you do You do realize we that... we got black blood running in my veins. The Brady thing is interesting because it also goes all the way back to when, right before Carr got here... As you know, the Oakland transfer to Vegas Raider, and remember that UFC event. And our buddy Adam Hill wrote about yeah. the multiple meetings. People only saw the picture of the meeting in the arena, but uh, as Adam says, there was a, a talk in the back where Mark Davis was talking to Tom Brady. And uh, you know, from what we hear, that that irked Camp Carr at the time. Like, I'm not even here yet, and you guys are talking about some guy coming in and replacing me. What? I thought he didn't have hate in his heart. Now. Oh, okay. So yeah, that was probably things have changed. Yeah. Yeah, he was probably the Mopo. Number one. He said he's not. Okay, we said Trubisky is. Colin said Trubisky is, and Colin we trust on this show. That's a very good point. He was the Mopo. <laughs> Do we need number one hit again? Can you move on from this? I can't. I'll be that Mopo. Number one. Suns four nothing. Suns at four. Oh, I, I would never want to hear that phrase again. It, it is. I don't know why I can't stand that guy anymore. Well, here's because I generally glorify things that are gross and violent, but I almost feel like he's getting too much attention. Can I just say? Yes. So I've been uh, my for those who do not know, uh, my mom, my uh, my uncles, my grandmother is from Durango, Mexico, but 
Uh, my mom and her sister and brother were all born in Arizona. Here we go. So my uncle, my uncle Ben, if you're listening, uh, is a really big Suns, Cardinals. He's big Arizona. Oh, guy. really? Yeah. Arizona Universe, all that stuff. You Suns fans have become unbearable. They're in my mentions. They're all over the place. It's Suns and Four guy. It's Suns and Four. All they're down five one, and it's still or they're you know they're they're, they're down in the series. It's still Suns and Four. Like I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. I want them to lose a game so I never hear it again. Win in five. I don't care. I don't care if they win. But the Suns fans have become. I, I can't do it anymore. I can't. Let's break down the series. Let's break down the game. Uh, give uh, our buddy Curtis Terry plenty of time. We'll step aside here real quick at Silver Sevens as uh, Curtis Terry, the former running rebel, is going to sit in with us and we'll talk about what's going on with the Suns and the Bucks tonight. Right now, Suns are four and a half. Four and a half is the point spread here at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens. It's the Big Five at Four. Brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 570-9000. Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Me and my friends would be talking about like when Chris would leave the house or something. I'll say SCP-3, you know, every time he leaves. SCP-3. SCP-3. So it's it's kind of strange that, you know, just growing up, like literally being a fanboy of him and now being right next to him in the back course, just crazy how life comes. That is pretty cool. That Kevin Booker talking about Chris Paul and, you know, the NBA is so young. Guys come in at such a young age that you do get a chance. Like, Devin Booker is what? What is he, 25 now? And Chris Paul's 36. Yeah. And these guys you grew up rooting for. That's yeah, pretty crazy. We all get old quick, doesn't it? It seems like that, doesn't it, right? Curtis Terry's with us, former UNLV player, and now he's one of the voices of uh, the Runner Rebels. Uh, he's also, he's got his own podcast, Uncommon Terry. It's a good you, name, by the way. Thank you, a, sir. Uh, right? It's a real good name. Got to give uh, kudos to my wife. When she, helped, she helped half of that name. <laughs> She is a better half of the family when it comes to creativity. Yeah, for sure. And maybe business acumen, too? Uh, yeah. Uh, yep. Smart. I'm a smart man here. Yes, yes. Just I was going to say, yes. like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you suck, run. Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I was saying. That's not what I was saying at all. Um, so you just dropped another one this week. Who would you talk to? Uh, with Matt McKay, Jr., former NBA scout of the Portland Trailblazers and Charlotte Hornets. Um, he was, a, before that, a, a graduate assistant on staff with Lorenzo Romar up at UW on a couple of their really good teams with Quincy Pondexter, Isaiah Thomas. Um, chatted with him a bit. Now he does his own kind of media and scouting services for high school grassroots guys going on to college. And so I had a good conversation with him about kind of what scouts are actually looking for and what, what NBA scouts are looking for for those guys that are looking to go from college to the NBA. Um, had, had a couple good stories on there about him. And uh, he actually worked for Terrence Mann's mom, who was a women's college basketball coach. Um, back in the day, um, and then also a conversation that about me and him had when he came down when he was with the Hornets to actually take a look at Chris Wood before he went out um, on the draft, and we had some good com- candid conversations, and, and some of the stuff that goes on in those in those weight rooms and behind doors when those scouts come out, they're looking for the real information, and so there's definitely can, can find that in that conversation with Matt McKay Jr. I think basketball scouting is super fascinating because we're coming up on the NBA draft, right. right, and like because these guys, as Steve mentioned, they're so young when they enter the league. Scouts, you're you're drafting and looking at guys. You're projecting so much because they're so young. You know, I've made the case when you're talking about the NFL. These guys are three years out of high mm-hmm. school. They're in their bodies. They're in their positions. You kind of know to a certain extent what they are. Right. You're not looking at like some 18 year old like, yeah, hoping like four years he could become a dominant wing player. Like it's incredible. Right. And I think to, to some degree you can figure out and you can kind of you can forecast what they're going to be able to do athletically and, and, and skill set wise on the court. But I think the one thing that Matt mentioned is that they're trying to figure out like the 
behind the closet doors, like deep in the cobwebs of who these kids really are. Like, what do they do when they hang out, when they're away from the court? Yeah. What types of kids are they? Because the big thing he says is when you got a team, especially a small market team, that's going to go in and make that kind of financial investment in a first-round pick, they want to know everything that's going on. John and I were talking yesterday about Mikael Bridges and yeah. the trade. I mean, that talk about a difference in, in draft picks, right? Yep. The other part of it with Zaire Smith? With Zaire Smith, Mikael Bridges. So you, you make the swap, right. right? And Zaire Smith, you're the Philadelphia 76ers. You're like, all right, we wanted that guy. He's barely in the G League right now. Right. And yet we have Mikael Bridges here being a very good role player who has been getting better every single year for Phoenix. And I think a big thing that a lot of kind of average NBA fans and basketball fans don't understand is that it's about the situation that you're in. You could be a really good player, but if you're not with the right coach and the right system and you have veterans that are going to kind of hold your feet to the fire and make sure you do the right things day in and day out. I mean, like Zaire Smith, if he was in Phoenix, he probably would have had a better shot if Monty Williams is his coach, if he made it that long. If Chris Paul comes in, you're going to have more success as opposed to you're in Philly and they're trying to trust the process yep. and Joel, uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and guys that they're kind of trying to figure it out themselves. That's going to fall apart real quick unless you have those veterans around you to kind of mold you. Yep. So I got to get your take on uh, what happened with Pacific and the Celtics. So we got Damon Stoudemire, Arizona guy. Mm-hmm. And it this is late. This right. is late. To, you know, I mean, that's when the jobs open up. But he right. just took an NBA job. Meanwhile, we got the connection here. You got Nick Blake just left UNLV. He lands of all places at Pacific. Now Stoudemire's out. They boost his assistant. Jayhawk's still on the staff, right? So that's yep. that's the connection. So I don't know. What do you think right now for Nick Blake? I think that the big draw for him, obviously, I mean, Justin Hawkins probably had a little bit to do with that in terms of that familiarity with a guy from Vegas um, and his time here and, and, and Justin knowing Deshaun Henry, uh, Nick's former coach at Durango High School. But I think him going there was you want to play for Damon Stoudemire, Mighty, Mighty Mouse, right, the guy that has the, the intellect of the NBA and kind of know how to be successful and get kids to that stage because they've had some good guys come through Pacific the last couple of years. But it's about, for him, now what do you do? And now he's got to put his trust in that coaching staff because this late in the process, there's not many options left available. And I think for him, it's going to be good for Nick, and I said this before, to get away from home, to go to a smaller area, even though it's Humboldt County, go up there to, to, to North Sac um, and try to get away but so that way he can just lock himself in the gym and try to focus on becoming the best basketball player he can be because we saw last year there was times where he was really good, he was really bad, but I think having that pressure being the hometown kid probably weighed on him a bit. Curtis, stick around. We want to get to a preview of Game 2 tonight. Suns and Bucks. Right now the number's 4.5 with the uh, Bucks, the dog, in this one. We have to get uh, back to NIL and also what we were just talking about with the uh, return day yesterday for a lot of college basketball players, a lot of stars, and what it means, especially for a school like UCLA. Visit LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Cofield and Company is live at the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. So yesterday was a big day around college basketball. Uh, a lot of dudes pulled out of the draft, which I always like to see because the, the last thing you want to see is a Chris Wood situation. It worked out for Chris in the end. He got the long-term deal, but he did take the long road there. And we all remember the picture of him you know, slumped over after he didn't get drafted. That sucked. Um, you know, those guys who were in that range of maybe first-rounder, could be pushed out of the second round, you know, that 50 to like 100 range on the draft board when there's only two rounds, the fact that they now have an option to come back and make a little bit of money, you know, if that's what they need, they got to support their family, you, maybe you can make tens of thousands of dollars and that's what you'd make in the G League, it's a good option. Do you think that's why some of the guys came back because of NIL? I like that theory, but ultimately I'd say no. I just think that they weren't going to get drafted high enough to make it worth it. Okay. Um, but it's fun to go down that rabbit hole because, but at the same time, guys now, they have more incentive to come back because you say, hey, if I'm going to be looking at, I mean, I'm going to be 45 to 60 getting drafted, you're really betting on yourself to be able to, to 
first of all, get drafted, prove yourself in those workouts, and hope you did enough at the combine to be able to get drafted and then make the team and go through training camp. That's tough to do, but now for some of those guys who are kind of fringe, we say, hey, what the heck, if I was a good enough college guy in my market, I can go back, get a couple dollars in my pocket, build my draft stock back up, um, and also have a normal college season uh, as opposed to last year in that COVID season. I understand that, but I don't think a lot of these guys would say, hey, I'm going to make more, even though they they won't make, if they would have made the contract, they got drafted, they wouldn't make more going back and taking that NIL deal. Well, and I think it might be part of it. I think it was Chris Wood who's commented about like his path through the G League, and he even said something to the extent of like, I don't want to do that again. Right, right, like going going around different countries and, and playing in all those different environments, like it could be attractive to instead of going that route, being like, I can stick around and like you know play at, at school again and potentially make the NCAA tournament, and maybe like hey, drink some sweet tea and I can make some cash along the side. Right, and I think that's the big <laughs> thing because I, I played I played in the G League. Uh, it was the D League. Then I played with the Lakers organization and with the Dallas Mavericks. So two seasons, and I went overseas. And I'll tell you that was I mean heck, two thousand ten ish. 11 years ago, technology was not what it is today. And so in terms of being able to communicate with friends and family and relatives, it was so much harder then and it was so much more taxing. Now I would say I would probably relish the opportunity more to do it again now because it'd be easier. You'd, you'd quell some of those concerns about being away from home and not being in contact with people. But it was tough back then. And the way you travel is, is worse in the G League then than, than as you do now with college teams. So in that case, I understand why guys want to go back because you really have to be a dog, be dedicated and willing to sacrifice to do what you have to do to make it and stick in the league because, again, there's only 60 guys getting drafted, but that doesn't mean there's always going to be 60 spots open because if guys aren't going to retire or get injured and leave the league, there's not that many spots. Biggest returnee, I think because of the team that he was going to leave behind, it's, it's got a pretty good roster is UCLA and Johnny Chuzang. So they're yeah. definitely a top-five team, and they have a chance to be really, really good again. Yeah, for sure. I think what McCrone is doing over there with them, I think Juzang is one of those guys who projected at four, between 45 and 60. I mean, that's, that's a lot to, to risk on himself, and he's not a guy that I think is really going to come in and, and demand and, and force his way in the league and put his foot through the door. Uh, Hunter Dickinson up at, at Michigan, though, coming back, that's going to make them good. Obviously, we're Kofi from Illinois, wherever he lands. They're going to be a, weird, that's a weird one, team right away. Kofi Coburn was at Illinois. Right. Seven-footer, you know, 298 pounds. Well, two of the assistants left for Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So... That's the guy who recruited him, Orlando Antigua, who's been all over the, you know, all over college basketball. So, can you imagine? He comes back. He's like, eh, "No thanks, Coach Brad, going I, to Kentucky." And, so, and I kind of, I can kind of see if you're one of those guys where you might get drafted pretty high, and you don't immediately say, "I'm going into the portal," just say, "I'm going to put my name in the draft," and then you go, and then now you come back. I mean, he's got a lot of leverage to a degree, um, but it's about finding that right spot because again, not everybody can do it. But a guy with that size, that skill set, that can, can impose his will. He's a guy that's they're going to make room for him, um, depending on wherever he wants to go, even this late in the stage. All right, let's talk about the Suns. John, you start. Give me the case where the uh, the Bucks solved them defensively, and then we'll ask Curtis about you know what the Bucks can do on D. Well, I think it starts with Giannis, right, being more aggressive. Like I think you're not you're not winning a game, you're not winning a series if Giannis is taking 11 attempts from the floor, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's the big one. And I keep going back to you go to the first quarter, and there was a possession where he gets the ball in the high post, and he takes. Aiton baseline, and he puts his shoulder into him, and Aiton goes back like a foot, and he finishes on him with a left-handed dunk. You need more of that. And he was super passive in the second half, and I think part of that's the knee injury. He had a quote after the game was like, I thought I was done for the rest of the year, mm-hmm. going into last year, going into next season. So I think as he gets a little bit more comfortable and gets a little bit more aggressive, like it starts with that, right? Like just getting more aggressive and finishing, because if you look at the two games they played in the regular season, they shot, they shot the ball 63 times within four feet. They only did it 21 times right. on Tuesday. Right. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, psychologically for sure, he, he started slow. He looked really good, though, at times, right? right? He looked the really block. good. Chase down block. Right. Um, it didn't look like he was obviously physically having any troubles. I think mentally he's got to get over that hump and say, hey, I'm the guy. i got to reinsert myself into this lineup. He's got to get more than 11 attempts. Middleton, as great as he was to close out that Atlanta series, I mean, him getting 26 shots. If he's hot, yes, but he's going to have to back up a little bit. I think Drew Holly is obviously going to have to contribute. Uh, but defensively, I think obviously that's where they got to they got to make the most changes. You can't just let Chris Paul go out there and survey. And it looks like Chris Paul from the from the Hornets when he was yeah. with Tyson Chandler pick and roll and throwing it at the top to Tyson Chandler. Now it's DeAndre Ayton, or when he was with the Clippers, it was Lob City. You're just pick and roll, throwing to the roll guy at the rim. They've got to make it tougher, um, especially on Ayton on the inside because it's not like they're throwing to him catching off the block and he's going to work and making post moves. Right. He's just getting putbacks. He's getting rim runs and rolls. And so it's easy from that standpoint. Just like the Clippers made it tougher on him at times, and that's when they had success, I think they got to do the same. Um, and my buddy Steve Jones, Steve Jones Jr., said, I asked him, I was like, what's your hot take for the game? And he says, Phoenix can't keep it up. And I was yeah. like, I agree. I don't think they can shoot that hot and play that well. Um, and he says that if Milwaukee can make one change, if they can fix one thing, that they will win. Um, I think they're, they're going to win this game. I think they're going to figure it out, just like they did against Trey Young and guarding that pick and roll in the Atlanta series. Um, and I still like the Bucks in six. That's just me. What do you What do you do? Because one of the things that has stuck out about Milwaukee, like, what do you do if you're Holiday? Like, where the ball's just not going in, and because he, he's looked timid at times now too, where he's he's passing up open looks. Yeah, I think he's just got to get get back to being aggressive. You got to understand though, again, these guys being in their first NBA Finals, even for Chris Paul's his first NBA Finals, it's a bigger stage. I think Jay Crowder right was the only one that had Finals experience. Right, only guy. <laughs> and, and and Jay and he played terrible. 0 of eight from the field, <laughs> right. or five from three with one point. And I like Jay, but he, the best plus minus, by the way, that's he, a great stat. A great role player. He's he's accepted his role, uh, but I think Drew Holiday's got to be more aggressive. And I think with with. Giannis coming back in the lineup, some guys probably took a backseat a little bit. He's got to be more aggressive, and if he's not scoring, he's got to still put his head down and get to the basket, but then he's going to have to take it personal trying to stop CP3, and I think he has the, the physical tools to do so. I can't remember a guy who's won as many games as Budenholzer has who gets criticized as much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Is he be- not good? I mean, I think it's because, though, that's, that's why, though, right? Because you win as many games as you do, but then you constantly come up short in the biggest moments. Like, we do that all the time with guys. And I think there's criticisms to be had, right? You know, like, for example, in that Brooklyn series, when you're constantly throwing Pat Connaughton out there and he's just getting wrecked possession after possession and you won't pull him off of the floor, right. like little things like that. And a lot of people have criticized that drop coverage. And that gets torn up by guys like Chris Paul. But I think in a matchup like this, like you talked about it, Chris Paul surveying, doing whatever. Like I made the argument, Curtis, like I don't know what you're doing if you're Milwaukee yeah. because what they do defensively from a scheme standpoint fits perfectly with what the Suns want to do from an offensive standpoint. Yeah, I think you've got to be more aggressive. You've got to take the ball out of Chris Paul's hands. Right. I think you, you've got to trap. You've got to show long on those screens and make him give it up and make someone else beat you. If, if Devin Booker's going to come off and continue to play off the bounce and create, fine. If they win like that, okay. I don't think they're going to win four games like that or now three. Chris Paul's going to have to have a big hand in it, and I also think a little bit of ego from Chris Paul is going to want to have a big hand in it and want to get not just the championship but that MVP finals trophy. And so I think he's, he might at times be hesitant to give it up if you do trap, and that's when you'll be able to get some advantages and maybe some runouts because they've got to loosen up the floor for sure well, uh, for the Bucks. And little small things, right? Like, like when you're playing drop coverage, you don't have to drop that far back, no. right? Or when you're switching everything, just don't switch the 1-5 pick and roll. Like little things like that I think you can stop doing, and maybe that helps you out from a defensive standpoint. Right, and, and I think that in, to go with that is when, when they go and they're searching and hunting those, those pick and rolls to make those switches, and even if they do it early in the clock with like 14 on the or 15, 16 on the clock, shot clock, and they make that switch, Chris Paul's just going to back out and just hold the ball and wait, let everybody clear, and then go one-on-one. 
So maybe don't be so easily and, and just anxious to allow that switch to happen. Maybe fight through it. Give them a little pressure. Um, I understand late in the clock you have to do so, but if you do it right away, you're just playing in their hands. And Chris Paul's a great one-on-one player, and I think that's why he, when he was with James Harden and the Rockets, they had so much success because at any given time, it's like, you take it, you can beat them one-on-one. You take it, you can beat them one-on-one. You don't want to let Chris Paul sit there and play one-on-one, especially against big guys that are slow-footed. Curtis Terry in with us. We're getting ready for game two of the NBA Finals. Suns, uh, four and a half over the Bucks. The series price, as soon as you said Bucks and six, I was like, let me look at that series odd again. It actually has gone down 40 cents, so now Bucks are plus 240. I think. Not yeah. the time to bet it, but your betting strategy is what? Oh, if you think the Bucks are going to win, you bet Giannis to win MVP, right? Oh, I mean, sure. like, right. Like, because you can get a bit, much better price, like six to one, because they're not, if they're winning the series, he's going to be the finals MVP. Yeah. There's no, yeah, there's, it's not like Andre Godal is going to steal it and get right. the MVP trophy. Well, unless like yeah. LeBron should have won that thing that <laughs> right. year. He was incredible. Right. I'm just curious. You played the bit about uh, Devin Booker calling him, calling Chris Paul CP3. Do you think any of the guys on his team call him Cliff Paul, like jokingly, <laughs> from State Farm? From <laughs> I think I would. Right. Well, I think if you're hey, – I would assume – Well, on bad games, right, you have to. Right. Like, like that, when he's having a – That was Cliff tonight. <laughs> Cliff, Cliff showed up with the jersey tonight. <laughs> right. What are you doing, Cliff? You're, you're chucking rocks out there. So uh, we do a podcast every night, Cofield and Company Late Night Podcast. Last night we uh, we got into the subject of the future in the NBA with uh, our buddy Seren Petron. I want to run this one by both of you guys. Uh, whoever wins the title, is this a Mavs situation where we never see him again, like Dirk and the Mavs? Well, they're good, but they never make a run at a title again. Um, and if not, which team do you believe will be the long-haul team that could actually win multiple titles, Bucks or the Suns? I mean, I think long haul, I mean, if you're using that as a qualifier, I think it's clearly Milwaukee, right? Because Chris Paul has a shelf life. Yeah. I don't know how long it's going to I, be. I said Suns, but keep going. Only because, look, you can make the case for both of these teams, but like Phoenix, for example, they were down in that series of Lakers. They had no answer for Anthony Davis. Once Anthony Davis went down, things opened up for them. And the West is just a lot tougher at this point, right? Teams one through eight, you still have to deal with Luka Doncic. The Clippers are going to come back full strength. The, the Nuggets looked like a title contender before Jamal Murray went down. Like, that's a really tough road to hoe. And, like, are they going to be a playoff team again? I, I think absolutely. But if you're talking about making it to the Western Conference Finals or your Conference Finals regularly, I think the, the path is just easier for Milwaukee. Yeah, naturally, I think the path is easier for the Bucks being in the East. Um, but I th- and I think Chris Paul, I mean, even if he does win the championship, win finals MVP, I think he moves on. Oh, you so do? I th- yeah, I don't, I don't okay, know well if he's that- really going to sit there and stay because I think that blows it up and you've got to find someone to really rally those troops. Uh, but I am going to take. I'm going to take it offensive when you say that the, the Mavs and, and, and Dirk and those guys just fell apart. That is because, and I love Cuban, but Cuban did not re-sign those guys and allow them a chance to repeat and run it back. Right. You let those. You let some of those key guys go, then that team just implodes by itself. Uh, yeah, because that was a heck of a team, and I think if they bring them back, that they probably would have repeated that year. I hadn't thought that Paul's moving on. I figured they'd get another couple of years out of him, and then Chris Paul would be a draw to get some other veterans to play with him, maybe take less money, and. I'll say uh, I also I trust the Suns front office more than the Bucks in terms of the draft. And the other one is if we are questioning Budenholzer as a coach, I think Monty Williams is a top five guy for the next however long he wants to coach. Yeah, he's a great coach. I think he's proven that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know, JVT, what do you think? I think Chris Paul might move on. I think he's going to try to see something because if you get that championship, then it's about your legacy and where do you want to kind of finish and, and, and kind of sit on the throne at. I, I think he's more likely to retire than go to a different team. What? Ooh. Really? Well, like if, he, if we're talking about moving on, I, I think he's going to stay. 
But, like, if we're talking about not being on the Suns next year, I would think leaving at the peak would be the, the way to go. But I think he'd be back. Slight overreaction on my part. I'm like, what? I'd also, I mean, look, I mean, I think I'd also, I'd push back a little bit on the Suns and the, the Bucks in terms of drafting. I mean, you got Chris Middleton, you got Giannis Antetokounmpo, you developed them to a certain extent. Dante DiVincenzo has been very good for them. Right? Like they've done a really good job. I think these are even in terms of their past in, in the NBA draft. Now, the Suns have hit on some guys recently, right? The Mikael Bridges thing we talked about. Obviously, Devin Booker has been very good. DeAndre Ayton has turned out to be good, but I think they're kind of Cam Johnson. All right, a wash. Yeah, Cam Johnson. I think they're kind of a wash in terms of drafting and developing dudes. Yeah. And I've, uh, the one thing, Dante DiVincenzo for the Bucks, when he goes down early in the playoffs, oh, him, he's playing those minutes instead of Pat Connaughton. He's a lot more athletic, a lot better shooter, a lot better playmaker. I think it's a complete different shift in terms of their strategy. Not having him makes Pat Connaughton have to play uh, those minutes, and he's uh, not ready. By the way, that's interesting that you say he's more athletic, and Pat Connaughton he can is jump, like, but it's a different. You know what I mean? No, I actually, I, I like leaper. I, yeah, I want you to explain that to the audience because I, you know, we know Pat Connaughton is like you know Major League Baseball pitching prospect. He's got a forty-two inch vertical leap, and then you're like, well. There's different sorts of athleticism in terms of playing basketball, right? Yeah, like I think you, you put Pat Connaughton on, on the track and field team, he's going to outperform DiVincenzo. But I think with the basketball in his hands, in terms of being able to contort his body and stop and make those moves. Lateral movement, yeah. yeah I think he, I think he's I think DiVincenzo is a little bit better player with the ball in his hands. Connaughton's going to, I mean, he could go be on the track team for, for all I know. Straight line athlete. Yeah, well, for and, sure. And, well, and jump. And as we talked to, like one of the things, because one of the criticisms going back to like the Bud thing, right, was everybody on, on Tuesday was like, you got to go small, you got to play a five, Giannis at the five. The problem is, you need to put another guard out there. Mm hmm. And you can't put content out there because I mean, he can't dribble. <laughs> right. So, like, if you're putting – if it's – like, I was talking about, so what do you want? Do you want Giannis, <laughs> uh, Bobby Portis, P.J. Tucker, Connaughton, and Drew Holiday? You have one ball handler out there. That's a nightmare. That's where they really miss DiVincenzo because yes. those small ball lineups really thrive when you have two guys out there like Holiday and DiVincenzo. And the one thing that can counterattack that if Drew Holiday's not going to give you much or if he does give you a little bit and you need another ball handler because you do go small, you got to put Jeff Teagan. And right. Now, he had one solid game in that series against the Hawks down in Atlanta, but I don't know if he's going to be able to continuously give that to you. But, again, you, you've got to find something to jumpstart this team and get them going because, again, they shoot 44%. They make 16 threes. They shoot a higher percentage than the, than the Suns do in that first yep. game. The only downfall, I mean, the stats were even aside from the free throw attempts, 25-26. I mean, I think there were 5 of 12. I mean, that's the big dis discrepancy there. Uh, but, I, again, I think the Bucks are going to be able to get this one, and I, I think it's going to go a lot longer. It's not going to be a landslide like, like people are, are kind of barking about. Yeah. We all excited to watch the Olympics? Yeah. Basketball? I am. I mean, not basketball. I mean, the Olympics, track and field. Men's basketball you're not going to watch? I'll watch it, but I'm excited to watch the Olympics. I mean, for me, it's track and field, swimming, and gymnastics. Fen fencing? Is that summer? Th those are the best, those, those are the best okay. Olympic sports out there, right? I mean, we watch the trials in my house. We're even watching now on Peacock. They've got the, the recaps and, like, the story about the U.S. gymnastics teams. I mean, those are the I really talk about true athletes. I like gymnastics a lot. That's Women's a lot gymnastics. Yeah, they're incredible. Yeah. They're the men's gymnastics just doesn't. Doesn't doesn't do it for me. I like the volleyball. I like fencing. Is fencing part of summer? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Is it? Fencing's awesome. And then there's like ten sports that I don't realize I like, but when it's on, I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Uh, well, for mm. me, every winter that's curling. I can sit down and watch entire <laughs> curling matches. Just get your little broom yeah, out there. It's great. Well, I just like the slide, the, the, like the slide well, the when pose. they're in the, yeah, you know what I mean when they're in the deep, <laughs> when they're in the deep ones and they're just sliding the rest of the way. Feel the burn. Yeah. Did you get a look at the men's uniforms for the basketball team? I did. They're dope. I like them. You said what? They're dope? I, yeah. I don't like I them. still say dope. I don't. don't. I mean, I, when I'm trying to – yeah, I don't. Why are you holding back? Yeah, you can say it. I don't say dope. I mean, when I try to – Oh, you don't say dope in no. general. Oh. I think the uniforms – I like the color of them. Yeah. The display and the design looks kind of like Duke to me. That's the first thing that pops in my yeah. head is Duke, and I don't like Duke. Um, but I, I like the color of them. I think they're kind of – they're pretty vanilla. 
I think they need to add the stars. Like, be a little bit more creative like they used to be back in the day. But I understand Nike's trying to, they're trying to sell, and these are going to be yeah. I mean, pretty streamlined. Everybody can wear them regardless of the sport. The Cofield and Company crew is back tonight at 9 o'clock. It's the Law and Sporter Podcast with Justin Watkins from Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Did you bet the side in this game? Uh, I have Milwaukee plus five and a half. Why? Oh, well, there's a lot of things, but I think you know, ultimately we can start with offensively. They're going to be more aggressive around the rim. But as I mentioned with Curtis, you know, only 21 attempts within four feet of the basket this last game. They attempted 63 in the two games in the regular season. Giannis is going to have more than 11 attempts, which is going to help them in that regard. Uh, and I just overall, their offense is going to get better. And here's the other part about it, because I, I, I know I've heard a lot of, well, the Bucks aren't going to shoot that well again. I just think they kind of can, right? Not 44% from three, but this was the sixth best shooting team in the NBA this season. The uh, Suns, one of my little favorite stats, they've been Knicks-like with their luck from three-point range. Actually given up 18% in terms of wide-open looks, like the frequency of looks from three in the postseason. 18% of opponent attempts have been considered wide open. Defenders six feet or further away. Um, and the Bucs exploited that a little bit in game one. So that's going to be something I think they can continue to work. So that rim offense... Uh, works its magic back up here. I think this is a, a spot here. And last note on it, just from a power rating perspective, Steve, five and a half, six, that's a number that says Giannis isn't playing. And last time I checked, he played 35 minutes last time out, and he's going to be on the floor tonight. Chris Middleton, total points, over under 24 and a half. It's, these are always boring because with the star players, I tend to always go under. Uh, so I will say under. If Giannis is going to have more attempts and he's going to have more of an offensive output, you don't need that much from Middleton. I'll say under. Giannis points, rebounds, assist at William Hill, over under 45 and a half. So let's say 45. I'm always bad at these off the cuff. So let's say he has 30-point game, seven rebounds, and like four assists. That's over, right? No, you're under. That's under? That was 41, yeah. Okay, I'll go under. That's what I think the play is. Even on the under watch, he'll go for 35, 19, and eight assists. So I'll tell you the one. (laughs) I think I told you this yesterday. I can't remember. Uh, but I went back to the well again because, again, it's just part of the series handicap. Uh, game one, bet Mikhail Bridges over, made uh, three-pointers at one and a half. Like $1.20 in game one. Uh, now it's $1.30, still a price I think worth laying. He, he's going to have a, a decent series. He hit two in game one, went over. He's primed to do it again, I think. All right. Well, I didn't get five and a half. If I want to play the Bucks. I got to wait. So I got to see what happens. Maybe I get a slow start at the beginning of the game. You know, 10-point lead in the first half with the Suns, and I get there. But. Got to play the right number. That's right. Going to lament the fact if uh, it finishes on five and you have five and a half and I have four and a half. Well, I mean, it just, for me, it's because I, you know how much I watch NBA basketball and you understand tracking the market every day. You get a sense of where the, the market's going to go with a lot of these games. And so that was too just like, a, it, it's going to close like four and a half, four. Grab it now. And sure enough, there it is. Did you check out the feature with uh, Devin Booker and his cars? I was looking at some of the things. I don't know if I didn't watch the feature. I did see a couple of videos of all of his cars. He's a car guy. I'm not a car guy, so they look nice, but they also look like they're big, really big, like boat cars. Uh huh. It'd be tough to drive. If you were a car guy, you would go all new. Oh yeah. Because I would go Devin Booker route. Really? Well, you're old. Doesn't mean anything. I am, <laughs> but some people like new cars. Some people like old cars. Like Devin so. Booker's old. I know. <laughs> I paused for a second. I was like, yeah, I am. I don't know what that has to do with me liking old cars. Well, I just I feel like looking at it, like even watching him drive it, like they're so laborious in terms of the turn. And yeah, you know what I mean? It's like driving a bus. It's like, <laughs> oh, man, let me, let me crank this a That's couple That's why they're times. awesome. Yeah. You know, like I, I – well, and here's the thing. 
I would take new cars, but now I'm a bigger guy. Like not like the coupes and all that stuff. You know, I, I'm an SUV dude. I take some of those newer SUVs out there. And you wouldn't get in a Ferrari where you get your no. rear end dragon on the ground. Give me a nice 2021 Kia Sorento. You know. Well, that's that wasn't. I mean, a Kia is a fine <laughs> automobile, but that's not exactly the. It's also like one of the five, like the, one of the, the five cars I actually know. Yeah, just, yeah. Like, <laughs> just like my mom had it when I was growing up. Yeah, I think the video I saw today. I think he. I don't even know what year it was. Uh, I think he was driving a, an old Cadillac today, yeah. convertible. And I know he's had he's driven some Fords and see his outfit, some, some his, Chevys. His fit as the kids. What call. was it? It's like a three-piece all-white suit. Now it looked really nice. But Curtis and I were talking off the air, like, it's like a billion degrees in <laughs> right. Phoenix. And, by the way, if you're driving those old cars, what's the air conditioning like in those old cars? you got to be burning up. Uh, I think you have the whole thing rebuilt. Come on. In an old car, you're right. In in Phoenix, if yeah. you don't have, like, the freaking best blower air conditioner going. An ice cube on a big tray that's just got a fan blowing it yep. at you? I would, if I was going to grab an old car, I would, uh, it's going to sound cheesy, but I would have, like, a... A Buick Park Avenue from the 80s, or I, I might actually get a giant like boat station wagon. Like I wouldn't go; I might not go all the way back to the 50s and 60s. I would get something cheesy from the 80s or 90s. I want one of those old school cars, like old school trucks with the big headlights and like the uh, the wooden tail. You it. can tell you know the cars well. Yeah, white, really, wall, you, white wall tires. There, uh, there you go. All right, thanks to Silver Sevens for having us down here. Come on down, join a play, get in on the Players Club. Make your bets over at the William Hill Race End Sportsbook. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks to Angel. Thanks to Ari. Thanks, John.